So the internet has convinced me that I can do things I should probably not be doing. Anybody else in on this? No? Am I the only one? Like somebody done something dumb because somebody on the internet showed you how to do it and you thought you could do it? Here's my latest example. We have a trailer here at New Anthem. That's how we store everything, uh, bring it back and forth since we have to set up and tear down. But since in the summertime there's no school, we get to have the trailer, leave the stuff here, trailer's empty. So that's how I was going to actually transport the, the Father's Day grill that we gave away, which was awesome. Um, and so I went and I was picked up the trailer, I was driving to pick up the grill, and I get to the place where I need to turn, step on the brakes, nothing happens. So I begin thinking, this, this is not right. So I, I step a little bit harder on the brakes, still nothing. Finally, I just jam on the brakes. The trailer kind of starts to uh, jackknife, and I realize this is not going to end well if I continue on these brakes. So I just let off the brakes, drive past my turn, take the scenic route home. Uh, You know, central Kansas is so beautiful to look at anyway. Um, But I'm no Midas expert. In that moment, though, I realize something is probably wrong with my brakes. Like, I'm pushing on them, and the truck is not stopping. I might want to have this looked, looked at. So I get online, get on the interwebs, Google, uh, 2004 Toyota Tundra brake pads. First thing that pops up, O'Reilly's, $40. Reasonable, right? I mean, that's great. How hard can that be? Get on, uh, check, hit that video button. First thing that pops up. Changing brake pads, 2004 to 2009 Toyota Tundras, eight minutes, awesome. How many, like, you realize that in eight minutes you're an expert on pretty much anything. And so I found that to be the case for me as well. So drive up to O'Reilly's, buy the $40 brake pads, get home, watch that video again, rip the wheels off, uh, open up the calipers, out come the brake pads, new ones go in, bingo, bingo, bongo, done. Time for a test drive. Get out. Some of y'all are already with me. Uh, get out. Uh, I, I have the windows down, just driving down the driveway, and I begin to realize somebody is burning something. Like, like there's some rubber or something that's on fire, but I'm looking around. I see nothing on fire. That's rather bizarre. So I get out on the highway, get up to about 45 miles per hour, and it begins violently shaking my truck. Like, bah, 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 bah. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I stop, go back home. Thankfully, the guy that we rent our little uh, barn apartment from is a former mechanic. So I call him up. He's like, yeah, no problem. I'll be right over. So he takes a look at it. He says, it's probably your rotors and calipers. So we ripped the wheels back off. He's like, yeah, sure enough, you got warped rotors. Your calipers are not working. They're not compressing the brakes. So you're going to need both things new. Awesome. That's just what I wanted to hear. The point of the story is this. I thought I was an expert in changing brake pads. I had eight minutes of training. How much more do you really need? Until... I met somebody who was legitimately an expert in brakes. Once I saw someone with true wisdom, I realized mine was only false wisdom. And this same false wisdom can creep into our spiritual lives as well. We think we know what's wise 
spiritually, but in reality, we have no idea. Until we really figure out what God expects from us, it's a false kind of wisdom. And this is not new. People have been battling this since the beginning of time. 2,000 years ago, Christians were battling the same false wisdom idea. It's why a guy named James had to write a letter to address it. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. I want us to look at this together. Turn towards the back of your Bible. You'll conveniently find a section named James after the letter. Uh, if you're a guest with us these past five weeks together, we've actually been exploring this letter, just going line by line through the book, seeing what James is talking about, how it actually applies to us in 2016. So I hope each of you have found something that you can use in your life. If you've not uh, been here, you want to check those sermons out, you can find them online. But today we're going to close out James chapter 3. So you want the big number three. It's just six verses long. So we're going to read these together and try and uh, figure out how this applies to us. So big number three, little number 13 is what you want. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, it's pretty clear that James is talking about wisdom. It's right there in his first sentence. And the problem is, for us, when we think about wisdom, the first thing that we think about is smart. If you're wise, you have knowledge. If you're wise, you know stuff. You're well-read. You understand things. You may be on that show, Jeopardy. You're wise. It's not what James is actually talking about here when he uses the word wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. I'm going to prove it to you. When I was in high school, I read a very interesting article. I was a basketball guy, so understandably it was about basketball. It was about the difference between the old NBA stars and the new NBA stars that were coming into the league. So uh, this is mid to late 90s. You had guys like Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley. They're all getting older and understandably a little bit slower. But then you have all these new young guys coming in to the league, guys like Shaquille O'Neal, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant. They're all incredibly gifted and talented. And the reason I found the article interesting was that the sports writer was arguing that even though these young guys are probably a step or two faster, maybe even stronger than the old guys, perhaps even more talented, if you took five of the old stars and put them against five of the young stars, the old guys would win every single time. And he argued that, and nobody even argued against him. Even the young guys in the article were like, yeah, they'd probably get us. Even the young, cocky, arrogant guys admitted, yeah, the old guys, they could probably beat us. Why? They had a lot of ways of putting it. One of the ways was that the older guys, they quote, know how to win. What does that mean? 
Like, surely everybody knows how to win, right? That, if you're getting paid millions of dollars, you better know how to win in basketball. It's not that complicated. You have to score more points than the other team. But uh, here's a statement that I found most fascinating. In the article, Shaquille O'Neal said, Y'all have heard Shaquille O'Neal talk? Okay, that was just an old Shaq joke. Apologize if you didn't get that. Uh, This is what Shaq actually said. There's no way to hurry up that kind of knowledge about the game. Again, kind of a curious answer to the question. What does he mean, speeding up knowledge? Because they all have the same rules. There's not that many rules in basketball. They've all got access to each one of the rules. There's a limited number of things that you can and can't do. So they all have the same facts, all have the same instructions. What's the difference? The difference is the old guys, the experienced guys, they're wiser. How so? Because the old men, the veterans, get on the court. They look out. They see relationships that young guys don't see. Probably the best example of this is Larry Bird. If you're a basketball fan, you know that Larry Bird is the least athletic person in the history of basketball that will ever get into the NBA Hall of Fame. I mean, the guy could jump like an inch, maybe. He ran a 30-minute mile. I mean, it was just, I mean, dreadful. But he was also the wisest basketball player probably ever. He could look out on the court and see relationships that nobody else saw. He saw convergences. He saw strengths and weaknesses of the other team and how that transposed into the strengths and weaknesses of his team. He knew what others didn't. He saw things that others didn't. He saw how they related. He saw openings. He saw opportunities. He saw how things fit together. That's wisdom. It's different than knowledge. What the young players meant when they say they know how to win, they meant they're wiser. What Shaq said, he was right. There's no way you can get to that quickly. Wisdom takes a long time. Might be difficult for you to hear this, but there's a lot of things in your life that just take time. You need to have patience. Wisdom is one of those things. Warren Buffett once said, you can't get a baby in one month by getting nine different women pregnant. That's so true, right? I'm not making that up. Some things take patience. Wisdom is one of those things. I apologize for that. That was crazy for me to even say that. In order for us to think rightly about wisdom, we have to understand that it's a slow, arduous process, but we also have to understand that it's not knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are different. Here's how I like to think about it. You might jot this down if you're taking notes. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's applying what you know to get a specific outcome. In other words, wisdom is a verb. It requires action. It's much different than knowledge. When you read this passage carefully, you see that your actions, your putting use to what you know, this wisdom, that can only happen one of two ways. James says there's two types of wisdom. One that's earthly, that's going to lead you to death. One that's godly, and it leads to a harvest of righteousness. Look at your neighbor and say, the second one sounds better. Yes, death sounds bad. 
We don't want that. We want to be wise. We want to figure out how to get this harvest of righteousness the Bible's talking about. Watch this. Proverbs 14, 12 is going to address you as a human being. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to what? Death. That's what we want to avoid. We want to get to wisdom. We can't trust ourselves to know the difference between God's wisdom and our wisdom. So what do we do? How do we recognize if we're leading this wise life that's going to lead to a harvest of righteousness? Thankfully, James tells us. Look at verse 15. He says, there's a false wisdom first. You've got to recognize false wisdom so you can recognize what true wisdom is. He says, false wisdom is earthly. It's unspiritual. And it's demonic. Jot those down. Earthly. Your translation might say worldly. Same thing. Unspiritual. Demonic. Let's chat about those. First of all, what is earthly wisdom? Earthly wisdom means you only think about the here and now. The present. What's happening here on earth. You have no regard for eternity. Doesn't even enter into your mind or your decision making. The ten trillion years that you're going to spend somewhere after you die that never even enters the background nevertheless the forefront of your decision making so let me ask you in the decisions that you make in the way you spend your money and how you live your life is this it the here and the now that's earthly thinking that's only thinking about yourself and in that earthly wisdom there's no room for difficulty there's no room for suffering there's no room for loss there's no room for what actually happens in life because if this is all there is the here and the now then you're the point life should be easy you should do everything you can to make it more convenient for yourself there shouldn't be difficulty there shouldn't be pain. There shouldn't be suffering. should be bunnies dancing on rainbows, eating chocolate with gold, right? I mean, go do whatever you want. This is all there is. Charge it up. Spend your money however you want. Who cares? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But that's a false wisdom. That's earthly. It causes you to do ridiculous stuff. Earthly wisdom will cause you to incur silly debt. In order to justify yourself, earthly wisdom causes you to say stupid stuff like, God just wants me to be happy. Show me. Y'all got the Bible? Show me where you're getting that. Yes, he wants you to enjoy life, but if it was all about your happiness, then you'd be the point. You're not the point. There's much more to life than your happiness. Because do you even know what would make you happy anyway? It'd be whatever makes you happy in this moment. That would be earthly wisdom. We just read that there's a way that seems right to you that leads to death anyway. So your joy, your happiness, in most cases are leading you down the wrong path. Even Garth Brooks knows to thank God for unanswered prayers. Right? Y'all heard that song? Even Garth's like, ooh, thank God he missed that one. You know, there are some things that you're praying for that you don't actually need. We think we know what will make us happy. And then the reality is we have no idea 
Our way leads to death. So you need to be careful how you're thinking about earthly things and earthly wisdom. The here and now. There's much more. There's an eternity waiting for you. How about unspiritual? What's James talking about when he says unspiritual? Unspiritual means the physical. It's not spiritual. It's physical, sensual. What's the old saying? If it feels good, do it. That's unspiritual wisdom. It's all about making yourself feel good. Listen to this, Titus 3.3. At one time, we too were foolish, could be translated dumb, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Circle, star, underline, highlight. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do. What did God save us from? Passions and pleasures. Draw a line right back to that. Physical and sensual sin. Listen, passions and pleasures aren't necessarily wrong. But if that's what you're looking to for your happiness, your enjoyment, your fulfillment in life, that's unspiritual. It's a physical line of thinking. It's deadly. It's a false kind of wisdom. It's very dangerous. That's why God had to save us from it. If you're looking to food, if you're looking to sex, if you're looking to drugs, if you're looking to anything to satisfy your life, outside of Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. If you can't wake up and not smoke a cigarette, if you can't go to work and not have a Diet Coke, if you can't get on your computer and not look at pornography, you're leading a dangerous life. The Bible just said it's going to lead to your death. I might submit to you. Those are foolish decisions. Two of them aren't necessarily wrong, but they're leading down a dangerous path. So that's an earthly kind, there's an earthly kind of wisdom. That was an unspiritual kind of wisdom. Finally, James says there's a false wisdom that's demonic. What's demonic? Some of you are like, I'm, I'm not buying into this whole demons, googly gook, whatever. I'm not, it's just not me. It's your prerogative. Maybe you've just got a better vocabulary than me, but I don't know what else to call what's happening in our world right now. I don't know what to call senseless murders. I don't know what to call what just happened in Dallas. I don't know what to call systemic racial injustice. It's demonic. It's the only word I know to use it. Because listen to me. There's some of you that, are gonna, that say, man, that's not even happening. Race, this ain't the 60s, man. When I was in college, my roommate was an African-American. I clearly am a white male. I know what it's like to walk into a mall and not be followed and not have anybody think that I'm going to steal something. Our sweet mate, very large African-American, I know what it's like to go to the mall and be followed. I know what it's like to walk through Walmart and be followed. I know what it's like to sit in a restaurant and have people whispering about the company I'm in. 
I know what it's like to have my friends sit there and look at me and say, don't worry about it, it happens all the time. Are you kidding me? This is the world that we live in? That because of the color of your skin, you're judged unfairly? That's demonic. Thought I was preaching up here. We are all created in the image of God. The Bible makes that clear. And to say that some lives matter over other lives is absurd. Over 2,000 shootings in Chicago this year alone. That's in six months. Over 60 million abortions since 1973 Roe v. Wade. We can't even define male and female anymore. It's not about your DNA. It's about how you feel. You can't call that anything but demonic. It's a characteristic of false wisdom. False wisdom says, no, no, no. There's not a way to live. There are preferences, and everybody has their own preference, and it's up to you and your autonomous self to find out what's best for you. Wrong. That's false wisdom. It's absurd. And not only is it leading to your death, it's leading to the death and destruction of the United States. Unless people like Christians stand up and point people back to the truth, it's never going to get any better. Easiest way to identify this demonic false wisdom is because it's marked by all the same things that the devil was marked by. Pride, bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition. James makes that clear. And how could it not be? I mean, if you think God is all about you, if, even if you don't think about God, if, if this life is all about you, if you're the whole point, then there's no real one right, right way to live. Every decision you make will be about you, and when it doesn't work out, then you have to get prideful, bitter, and jealous because this was all about you, and your life didn't go the way you planned it. And if you do believe in a God, you're going to get mad at that God because he didn't do what you thought he should do. But let me remind you how I started this message, and you think you're wise until you encounter someone who actually is wise. Judging from the fact that God created the entire universe to work a certain way, might I submit to you that his way is right? Yours is probably wrong, which is why we need to figure out God's wisdom. That's why I love what Proverbs 4, 7 says, King Solomon, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Got to get wisdom, which begs the question, how do I get wisdom? Man, I'm so glad you guys asked that. It works good. It's right here next to my notes. First of all, it comes from God. True wisdom, wisdom from above comes from God. Well, of course, you're a pastor. You have to say that. Of course, it comes from God. Okay. Have we not already established it's not wise to serve a God of your own understanding? What you think is happiness. That would be an idol. That's a God of your own understanding. Often hear people say, well, I just don't think God would fill in the blank. Surely God wouldn't fill in the book, fill in the blank. Bystander response is always, okay, well, what are you basing that on? Because it sounds like 
You're basing that on what you think. And you've thought some really dumb things in your life. Can we be friends like that? I mean, is this a safe place? You've thought some really ridiculous things. Am I wrong? No, you have. Correct. So could it be that you're doing that again when you say that sentence? We have to look to God's word to find out what God would really want. I would encourage you, if you get a chance, read Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to share a portion of it with you, but it is an incredible text in your Bible, and it's all about wisdom and how it functions. I want us to pick it up in verse 22. It's going to be here on the screen. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, me being wisdom. Okay, this is entirely about wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. Like a master workman, I was, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Dial in tight right here. And now, O sons, listen to me, listen to wisdom. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting besides, beside my doors. Listen, for whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Isn't that what we're all after? But he who fails to find me injures, hurts himself. All who hate me love death. The writer of Proverbs will go on to say, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, just throws down a gauntlet and says, this world can define wisdom. Webster's Dictionary defines wisdom. William Shakespeare talked about wisdom. Aristotle, Socrates, they all had a definition, but the, the Bible says the definition of wisdom is to fear the Lord understand the Lord. Again, it's an action. Wisdom is a verb. The beginning of all wisdom, all knowledge, is an understanding that God designed the world to work a specific way. He just asks that you line up all your actions and navigate the world in that way. His way transcends ours. We're looking at it from here. He's looking at it from way up here. We have to line ourselves up with him because by and large, we're just fumbling our way through. The best news in the history of the world is God has not abandoned us to continue just stumbling along. 
He's given us ways to recognize what true wisdom is. He's given us ways to line ourselves up. He's revealed to us true wisdom as opposed to false wisdom. And here's what he said. If you'll just walk in this wisdom, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. You'll get what your soul desires, joy. If you walk in false wisdom, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to die. I don't know about you, but God's blessings sound to me way better than being injured and killed. Before you can recognize anything else, you have to recognize that wisdom comes from God. Here's the second thing. True wisdom acts with godly motives. True wisdom acts with godly motives. Look at James 3.17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Seven things. Remember how I said that true wisdom comes from above, that it's a verb. Well, these seven things are the actions that should describe your life. These should define you as a human being. It's interesting because when James wrote this in the original Greek text, the first five words all start with the letter E, and then the last two words rhyme. James was trying to get his people to remember this. Because remember, not everybody had a, a, a manuscript. Somebody got up like I'm doing right now, and they would read this letter from James. And James said, this is so important. These seven things are so important. I'm going to alliterate them so you'll remember them. James was alliterating in a church before it was made popular by the Baptists. So here's how we need to think about these things. First of all, purity. To be pure is to be free from self-interest and to serve God single-mindedly. You're not selfish in your motives. You're trying to be pure in how you act and serve God. He says peaceable is number two. It's the absence of strife. There's no strife both internally and externally. Here's how I say it. There's no drama in your life. You're drama-free. You're peaceable. Then there's gentle. That just means tolerant and courteous. Here's how I would say it. Nice. You're nice. Open to reason. That could be open-minded, willing to yield. You're not stubborn. Full of mercy and good fruits. It means compassion produces kind acts. Your compassion should move you to do nice things for other people impartial or unwavering, straightforward. You're consistent. You're sincere. Last one, sincere. You're genuine. You're without pretense. You're without hypocrisy. You're not faking it. Can you imagine how different our workplaces, our homes, our schools, our entire world Can you imagine how different they would look if these seven things actually described the people? It would be incredible. I would encourage you today, pick one. Pick one of the seven. And until the end of July, work on that thing. Make a conscious effort to do one of the seven. And then the next month, pick a second one. And then the next month, pick a third and fourth. And so for seven months By almost the end of the year, 
you could have a radically different life. I guarantee you your home would look different. Your school would look different. Your job would look different. Your church would look different. Because the characteristics that the Bible say are true wisdom, wisdom from above, they'd just be overflowing out of you and into other people. You reap what you sow. I think I read that somewhere. I don't know. Last thing. True wisdom is number three. Intent on serving godly purposes. True wisdom is intent on serving godly purposes. What's God's primary purpose? To bring glory to his name by seeking and saving the lost. You don't have to look any further than the teachings of Jesus. He told three parables right in a row. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. The lost matter to God. He wants to bring glory to his name by seeking and saving the lost. And then some, some lawyers went up to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? They were trying to trick him. And Jesus says, you need to love God with your whole heart, your whole soul, your entire mind. He said the second one, though, is like it. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. How? By serving. What did Jesus say in John? I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve. Give my life as a ransom for many. Transpose that to your life. Because we're called to be like Christ. That's what Christian means. Little Christ. You need to be doing what Jesus did. Loving God. Loving people. How? By serving them. There needs to be intentionality around your service. That's what I love about the church. It's one of the few organizations in the world that are entirely dependent upon a volunteer base. That's why I'm so passionate about, about finding a place for you to serve. Not because I need something from you, but I want something for you. God said the way you find life, the way you get blessed, it's by serving. It's by loving God and loving people. I tell you this all the time. Y'all don't need me to have church. We absolutely would have to have you. You're not just setting up a chair. You're not just plugging in a microphone cable. You're not watching somebody's kids. You're not just opening a door. You are changing lives. You're serving God is using you to proclaim the gospel that he loved you enough to set his son to die for you. Weekly, there are people that come in these doors who have never heard that message. And because you do the things that you do, we've seen 48 salvations at New Anthem. It has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with God working through each and every one of us. My role is no important than yours. You're letting people know that God cares for them and that you care for them because you love God and you love others. And that's true wisdom. It's not putting yourself first. It's putting the right use to the knowledge you have. And if you're a Christian, you've got the greatest knowledge in the history of the world. That God loves you and wants to change your life. He doesn't want anything from you, but rather he wants something for you.
You just need to put your faith into action. Make the right use of your knowledge in your home, your workplaces, your schools, in your church. Man, we can change the world. Things like Dallas, I think I'm going to be on anybody's radar anymore. Just love people. Amen, somebody? Let's pray. God, thank you for being here in this moment, for being alive in this word, for speaking to us through this text, that there's a true wisdom, and it only comes from you, and that if we'll just put that wisdom into action, we can change the world for your glory. People will be blessed. People will be finding life. They'll find joy. doesn't mean it's going to get easy. It means it's going to be rewarded. We thank you and we praise you for that. Guys, ask that you speak to each person now. Tell them one of those seven ways that they can change this month. Bring into their heart the name of somebody that they just need to build a relationship with to demonstrate this love that you have. God, I just ask that you work and move in a powerful way. We're praying for a revival in our country. We're praying for a revival in the souls of people. I just ask that it starts with each person here. That because of the love you've put inside them, that they'll love the world around them. And they'll make this a better place. All in Jesus' name. Amen.